0: You'll always have Paris. No, we won't always have Paris. Apparently. So it seems. As it appears.
1: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight.
0: That's why.
1: I got the feeling there's something right.
0: Still ain't.
1: I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. To the left me, joke to the right Here I am Stuck in the middle with you Yep Yes, I'm stuck From in the
0: Pacifica middle Radio with in, with in Los Angeles This is the broadcast As heard days on KPFK 90.7 I'm FM in LA In, LA, in, my my LA, in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ On the Central Coast And 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast. And around the globe, every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. Not that the blanket, not that the Earth needs a blanket today. May need some air conditioning. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. Says me from BradBlog.com. Uh, thank you for joining us on uh, what is uh, turning out to be an historic day, and not in a good way, as Donald Trump makes his. Announcement concerning the Paris Climate Agreement. We will get to that very shortly, coming up a little bit later in the show. The alleged effort by uh, Trump advisor and son in law, Jared Kushner, to create a secret back channel line of communications with Russia during the transition last year is not the first time in U.S. history that a presidential transition team has made such an effort. In recent history. In fact, in at least one recent case, the outcome was actually a net positive for the U.S. In another case, by the same president, not so much. So I will be joined by Princeton professor and political historian Julian Zelizer shortly to discuss those cases, which actually present some historic parallels that both provide maybe comfort and otherwise really annoy Donald Trump, I think, all at the same time. Desi Doyen is, of course, with us as well. Hello, Desi. Hello. Yes, I know you're feeling great today about <laughs> what just happened at the White House. Uh, just a few minutes, really, before we uh, go on air today, we'll be covering the um, uh, the uh, Paris climate uh, decision in our Green News report as well a little bit later uh, but in the meantime, I had, uh, well, some email I received uh, yesterday after the uh, program where we covered the Paris Climate Agreement and Donald Trump's predicted withdrawal that has now come happened. to pass. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we spent a whole lot of time on it yesterday, on yesterday's program. But um, some email after the show to Bradcast at Bradblog.com from Sheila in Oregon, uh, she said, uh, you accidentally called the Paris Accord the Trump Accord.
2: Oh, really? I think,
0: Yeah, I think I did it one <laughs> oh, time. Totally missed uh, that. She says, I think you just landed on the way they could have kept the U.S. in. Rename it after Trump.
2: Oh, see, that would work. See,
0: that would have done it.
2: <laughs> I'd make him look.
0: A- and if he prefers, you know, we can just call it the Trump Accord if he wants. We'll stop calling it the Paris Agreement. Whatever he likes.
2: Put the it, word Trump in there every five words or so. That probably,
0: that probably would have done it. Um, uh, I am uh, I'm drawn to this tweet from real Donald Trump from May of 2014, quote, the global warming we should be worried about is the global warming caused by nuclear weapons in the hands of crazy or incompetent leaders.
2: So many of his tweets are so self-reflective. I was going to
0: say he was half right, I think, yeah. on uh, on that one. Yes, in fact, Donald Trump has just announced that the U.S. will will join Syria and Nicaragua as the only nations on the planet not a part of the uh, landmark Paris Climate Accord. And, uh, by the way, for that matter, Nicar- Nicaragua didn't join in uh, because they felt that the action was not strong enough. So really, it's just the U.S. and war-torn Syria who refuse to partake in the agreement. President Trump announced he will withdraw the U.S. from participation in the climate accord, weakening global efforts to combat climate change and siding with so-called conservatives who argued that the landmark 2015 agreement was harming the economy. We have, uh, well, in the White House Rose Garden, this announcement today replete with a four-piece military band in celebration this afternoon. Yes,
2: it was a very festive atmosphere. It was
0: indeed. Donald Trump, in his lengthy and at times rambling speech, punctuated with well, let's be kind for now and say highly debated economic numbers.
2: (laughs) Which, Uh, of course, I don't have to get into this, but I can just call them lies because they're just outright lies.
0: Well, he announced in any case, lies or otherwise, that he was pulling the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Accord with hopes for a renegotiation that might somehow allow the U.S. to reenter the landmark pact or uh, or a completely different agreement after the uh, this after the US and the and the UN achieved the years long effort back in 2015 to bring together nearly 200 countries for the largest world agreement in history here was Donald Trump today in the White House Rose Garden
1: in order to fulfill my solemn duty to protect America and its citizens The United States will withdraw from the Paris climate accord. Thank you. Thank you. But begin negotiations to reenter either the Paris accord or in really entirely new transaction on terms that are fair to the United States, its businesses, its workers, its people, its taxpayers. So we're getting out, but we will start to negotiate and we will see if we can make a deal that's fair. And if we can, that's great. And if we can't, that's fine. as president i can put no other consideration before the well-being of american citizens the paris climate accord is simply the latest example of washington entering into an agreement that disadvantages the united states to the exclusive benefit of other countries leaving american workers who i love and taxpayers to absorb the cost in terms of lost jobs lower wages shuttered factories and vastly diminished economic production thus as of today the united states will cease all implementation of the non-binding paris accord and the draconian financial and economic burdens the agreement imposes on our country Compliance with the terms of the Paris Accord and the onerous energy restrictions that is placed on the United States could cost America as much as 2.7 million lost jobs by 2025, according to the National Economic Research Associates. This includes 440,000 fewer manufacturing jobs, not what we need. Believe me, this is not what we need. The cost of the economy at this time would be close to $3 trillion in lost GDP and 6.5 million industrial jobs, while households would have $7,000 less income, and in many cases, much worse than that. Not only does this deal subject our citizens to harsh economic restrictions it fails to live up to our environmental ideals as someone who cares deeply about the environment which I do I cannot in good conscience support a deal that punishes the United States which is what it does the world's leader in environmental protection while imposing no meaningful obligations On the world's leading polluters.
2: That would be us.
1: Yes. Staying in the agreement could also pose serious obstacles for the United States as we begin the process of unlocking the restrictions on America's abundant energy reserves, which we have started very strongly. It would once have been unthinkable that an international agreement could prevent the United States from conducting its own domestic economic affairs. But this is the new reality we face if we do not leave the agreement or if we do not negotiate a far better deal. Patently false. (laughs) As president I have one obligation and that obligation is to the American people. The Paris Accord would undermine our economy hamstring our workers, weaken our sovereignty, impose unacceptable legal risk, and put us at a permanent disadvantage to the other countries of the world. It is time to exit the Paris Accord. Also patently untrue. And time to pursue a new deal that protects the environment, our companies, our citizens and our country. It is time to put Youngstown, Ohio, Detroit, Michigan, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, along with many, many other locations within our great country, before Paris, France. It is time to make America great again. Thank you. Thank you.
0: That was Donald Trump in the White House, Rose Garden today, announcing he's uh, scramming from the uh, U.S., the historic U.S.-Paris agreement. Now, um, I'm sorry, not U.S., U.N.-Paris agreement, climate agreement. Trump offered uh, a list of grievances against the agreement uh, throughout. So that was just one portion, uh, a couple of different portions from his speech that went on for about Uh, About 25 or 30 minutes. Uh, What did he what he did not note uh, is the process that will be required to actually withdraw from the Paris pact. It's unclear if that means he hasn't decided uh, yet how he's going to get out or he didn't just you know, he just didn't want to let folks know that due to the structure of the Paris deal, it will take as long as four years, I think, to yes, pull fully out?
2: as little. I mean, it, it cannot be any faster than four years.
0: They, they have to, everyone has to stay in for three years, and then they have to give one year notice that before they get right. out. They have so, to stay in right. for three
2: years from the time it came into force, which was last December. So three years from there is the first time a country can announce its intention to withdraw.
0: As the Times, the New York Times described it, if they are correct, uh, Trump will stick to the process for withdrawal laid out in the Paris Agreement, which President Barack Obama joined and most of the world has already ratified. That could take four years to complete, meaning a final decision would be up to the American voters. Hello, knock, knock. uh, Up to the American voters in the next presidential election. So that's something to consider. Also, those numbers that he mentioned uh, there, those are, if you were listening to yesterday's broadcast, those are, Pretty much word for word exactly what Ted Cruz said in his, if he even wrote this thing, in his op-ed that was posted at CNN.com um, uh, yesterday. And we went through some of the details of that, uh, pointing out, uh, again, uh, Trump echoing those exact same numbers from the exact same group From NERA, the uh, National Economic Research Associates, claiming that the Paris Agreement would cost $3 trillion to the U.S. GDP by 2040. $3 trillion would uh, result in 6.5 million jobs lost, would cost each American household some $7,000 in income. All of that comes from the same group. The same right-wing group, National Economic Research Associates, he, he quoted them by name there, or NERA. Um, they are, as Sourcewatch identified, a, a group that has worked on behalf of a coal industry front group in the past. And if you tie all the uh, the links together to this group, uh, connect all the dots, you find yourself back at uh, the guy who was the right-hand man for Rupert Murdoch, the CEO of Fox News and News Corp and so forth so it's this right wing group these are frankly phony numbers that I don't think anyone else uh, agrees with other than Ted Cruz and Donald Trump and I guess Steve Bannon
2: and the fossil fuel denial industry but anybody else who's an actual independent economic analysis can see if you look at these independent analyses that these numbers were completely made up that Trump used today in his speech to justify getting out of the Paris Agreement
0: of course other than uh, the cost to the uh, the planet itself uh, by the world's top greenhouse gas emitters. And I know you were chomping at the bit there during that audio when he was talking about the top polluters
2: we're the top polluters. Well, yes, we're number two now as far as total global emissions on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. China has now surpassed us as the biggest emitter, but we are by far the biggest emitter historically. We are responsible for about a fifth of the warming that and the fifth of the CO2 that has now been released into the atmosphere. The United States is by far the largest polluter. This was our responsibility to clean up our mess that we made.
0: Other than that, uh, the great concern among uh, those people who actually know stuff and believe in science and stuff, the concern about the U.S. leaving is that it's going to encourage others to uh, to pull out as well. Uh, environmentalists naturally are uh, furious about this. Uh, Greenpeace uh, USA's executive director said this is disgraceful. By withdrawing from the Paris Climate Agreement, the Trump administration has turned America from a global climate leader into a global climate deadbeat. Uh, But the good news so far around the world, as far as the globe is concerned, is that there seems to be no sign of uh, of other nations being interested in leaving this pact, at least not the, uh, the world's greatest emitters. From China to India to uh, the EU to Russia All seem to be recommitting themselves to staying in the pact
2: And I think it's quite notable to note that there is no one else Pretty much in the entire world Not a government, not a non-governmental organization Not in business that actually sides with Trump on any of this The only people that do are the folks that stand to lose Primarily the coal industry
0: Uh, and, And not even the entirety of the coal industry Industry, no. by the way but uh just to underscore uh some of the, uh, the the Kremlin says that Russia is committed to the Paris climate change accords this according to AP today This is Russia Speaking to reporters on Thursday a spokesman for President Vladimir Putin said that Russia quote thinks highly of the accords and there is no alternative to it but he added that its implementation will not be as effective quote without the key signatories wonder who he's talking about there Uh, Putin is meeting with Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi on Thursday. Modi on Wednesday had expressed India's commitment to fighting climate change and said it would be a, quote, crime to spoil the environment for future generations. Chinese Premier Li Qi Kong says fighting climate change is, quote, the global consensus and, quote, an international responsibility. He was speaking in Berlin about the Paris Climate Change Accord. He said that China in recent years has stayed true to its commitment. Despite what Donald Trump had to say today.
2: But so despite him lying about them, which is Well, sad. he did,
0: yeah. Without mentioning the U.S. specifically, um, uh, Lee said that China has been actively promoting the Paris Agreement and says we were one of the first count, uh, countries to ratify the Paris Agreement. He added fighting climate change is a global consensus. It's not invented by China. I guess he was talking about uh, Trump who made that claim (laughs) that it was a hoax invented by China. And he said, we realize this is a global consensus agreement and that as a big developing nation, we should consider we should shoulder our international responsibility. China says it will work with the European Union to uphold the international agreement on climate change, even if the U.S. pulls out. So once again, um, so much for U.S. leadership. While not mentioning the U.S. by name, China Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman uh, Hu Chunying tells reporters that climate change is a global challenge that no country can ignore. And at a regularly scheduled news conference on Thursday, uh, Hu said, "No matter what other countries' positions may change, we will continue to uphold a model of sustainable development. China is the top emitter." of man-made carbon dioxide emissions, and the U.S., as you note, is second. Uh, in fact, uh, though Republicans in the U.S. have long said that India and China, we went through this in great detail yesterday, that they would never enter an agreement to curb emissions. Both have entered this agreement, both uh, India and China, and both will stay in, even as the U.S. gets out. China has, over the past year, canceled plans for more than 100 new coal-fired power plants And I think by 2020, is it, uh, they plan to build enough, and this is what gets me, they plan to build enough renewable energy by 2020 to power the entirety of the U.S. Yes. So apparently China can do it, but we can't because, you know,
2: Donald Trump,
0: Donald Trump is uh, making China great again.
2: He indeed is doing so. They are going to be investing $360 billion in the next four years. They are, China is by far, the biggest investor in renewable energy in the world now.
0: AP notes that abandoning the PAC will isolate the U.S. from a raft of international allies who spent years negotiating this agreement to fight global warming uh, and pollution by reducing carbon emissions in nearly 200 nations And uh, yes, Trump indeed was pressed hard over the past week or so uh, to stay in the deal by European leaders and by the Pope. A uh, a formal withdrawal would take years, according to experts, a a situation which has led the president of the European Commission, Jean-Claude Juncker, To speak dismissively of Trump Uh, on on Wednesday, he said uh, Trump doesn't, quote, comprehensively understand the terms of the accord. The European leaders tried to explain the process for withdrawing to him, quote, in clear, simple sentences. (laughs) So the rest of the world is speaking to our president like he is a child. Uh, that's what uh, Junker had to say in in Berlin. He said it looks like that attempt has failed. This notion, "quote I am Trump, I am American, America first, and I am getting out," that he says is not going to happen. Around the world, in the meantime, coal-powered fire coal-fired power plants are being shuttered by uh, governments, including here in the U.S. Uh, and private companies are investing billions in wind and turbine farms. Glenn Peters, a Norwegian scientist who tracks global carbon emissions, said a U.S. withdrawal from the uh, Paris w- will be a disappointment to the climate community. The declines in U.S. emissions in the last decade have largely happened without strong climate policies. We are already uh, limiting, even before Paris. Uh, Almost every other industrialized country uh, economy in the world is moving in the opposite direction from where Donald Trump proclaimed the U.S. should now be moving. For example... Uh, on April of this year, and I believe we reported a number of these on the Green News Report. Des uh, Germany established a new national record. This was in April for renewable energy using uh, energy use with eighty-five percent of all electricity produced in the country coming from renewable sources. Back in April, eighty-five percent from renewables. That same month, Scotland was able to produce an electric an electricity surplus from its wind turbines, producing 136% of the energy needed for its 3.3 million households. The Chinese government, as I said, has canceled the construction of more than 100 new coal-fired plants, $360 billion they will be investing in green energy by 2020, uh, leading to a building boom expected to create an estimated 13 million jobs. Uh, that's twice as many as uh, Trump is pretending or are going to be lost. Right. Um, If we stayed in the Paris Agreement. Though it remains the largest uh, global carbon emitter, China also leads the world in total installed solar and wind capacity. So they are China, not the U.S., is leading the world. They currently generate about 20% of their electricity from renewable sources compared to just 13% here in the U.S., so um, Senator Ed Markey, uh, Democrat from Massachusetts, said President Trump is ceding the future to the Germans, to the Chinese, to the Indians and other nations rather than having the, U- the United States continue to lead the world on clean energy solutions
2: and also interestingly today the first ever tweet from the Goldman Sachs CEO Lloyd Blankfein Mm -hmm. he said quote today's decision is a setback for the environment and for the US leadership position in the world um, also there's been response from Washington New York and California the governors of those three states in response to Trump's decision to withdraw from the climate agreement so New York Governor Cuomo California Governor Edward uh, Edmund Brown and Washington State Governor Jay Inslee today announced the formation of the United States climate Alliance and that's a coalition that's going to convene mm-hmm. US states committed to upholding the targets of the Paris climate agreement and going to try to meet the tr- the the U.S. targets themselves from those three states St- that represent, by the way, one-fifth of the United States economy.
0: Uh, yeah, good point. And also, by the way, it's not just uh, democratically-led states, and I, I uh, maybe we'll have time to get into some of this later, but um, uh, states led by Republicans have also been uh, taking measures uh, to boost their use of renewables, doing exactly uh, the opposite of what Donald Trump was talking about today. Uh, states uh, and cities, led by Republican governors, led by Republican mayors, and they're also taking measures spending a lot of money. For example, Charleston, South Carolina, South Carolina, is recommending that all planned construction is, assume a sea level rise of one and a half to two and a half feet feet over the next 50 years. Um, Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma, home of Senator James Inhofe, who called uh, climate change the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on the American people, Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, has moved over 20,000 homes and businesses from a floodplain given uh, uh, the outbreak of extreme weather in light of global warming and climate change, Uh, no matter what our president thinks about it, whether he thinks it's a hoax or not. Uh, All right. So more later, Desi Doyen with the Green News Report. But we got to take a quick break. Come back with Professor Julian Zelizer. Uh, to uh, to this amazing story about Jared Kushner and his uh, alleged attempted back-channel contacts with Russia. That and more is straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyan and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you.
1: Do you remember your President
0: Nixon? Oh, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. More on uh, this historic uh, day, this uh, pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement by Donald Trump. More on that coming up in the Green News Report in a little bit. But first, well, after returning from Donald Trump's nine-day overseas trip, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer held his first press briefing in 2 weeks on Tuesday during the brief Q&A with reporters Spicer refused to answer questions about Jared Kushner's reported and somewhat bizarre efforts to establish a secret communications back channel with the Kremlin using Russian facilities Spencer never denied the Washington Post reporting from last Friday which was based on unnamed US officials briefed on intelligence reports said to have included intercepted Russian communications. The uh, Washington Post. Phil Rucker kicked off the questions at the briefing by asking if President Donald Trump knew at the time that Jared Kushner was seeking to establish back-channel communications at the Russian embassy to the Russian government, and if he didn't know at that time, when did he find out? Spicer said, I think that assumes a lot, and I would just say that Mr. Kushner's attorney has said that Mr. Kushner's volu- Mr. Kushner has volunteered to share with Congress what he knows about these meetings, and he will do the same if he is contacted in connection with any other inquiry. Rucker pressed him. Did the president discuss it, though? And Spicer said, I'm not going to get into what the president did or did not discuss. He kept asking, and Spicer kept stonewalling, except to say that Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly and National Security Advisor General H.R. McMaster have both discussed that, in general terms, back channels are an appropriate part of diplomacy. The Daily Mail's Francesca Chambers challenged Spicer's criticism of anonymous sources in news reports on this and other issues, given that Donald Trump himself had retweeted on Tuesday an unbylined Fox News report which cited one unnamed source claiming that Russia had instigated the discussion of a secret back channel with Kushner, not the other way around, as the Post had reported. Ask again later how it could have been appropriate for Kushner as a private citizen. Remember, this was during the Trump transition period, before being sworn in, before Kushner was a government uh, official. Uh, how it could be appropriate to attempt uh, to establish a channel to the Kremlin through Russian facilities. Spicer referred to Kelly and McMaster again, noting, I think that both of those individuals who are steeped in national security and foreign policy have said that that can be an effective tool, generally speaking, in diplomacy, according to Spicer. Well, generally speaking, that may be correct. Secret back channels have been used before, and indeed with Russia, or at least with the Soviet Union, during the Cold War. In that case, Princeton University professor Julian Zelizer detailed in an op-ed recently that the Trump administration could cite historic parallels for such back-channel communications even during presidential transitions, and to both good and, frankly, not-so-good effect. He writes, the primary comparison they could make is to Richard Nixon, who after the election of 1968 authorized advisers to create a secret back channel to the Soviet Union before his inauguration in January of 1969. Zelizer notes in a piece at uh, CNN.com the comparisons here to Nixon and that that back channel eventually resulted in a net positive for both the U.S. and the USSR. However, there is also another far less favorable comparison to a Nixon back channel. And in either case, such comparisons to Richard Nixon's administration may not make the White House very comfortable right around now uh, for a number of seemingly obvious reasons these days. Joining us now to explain these historic parallels is Professor Julian E. Zelizer. Uh, He is the political historian and the Malcolm Stevenson Forbes Class of 1941 Professor of History and Public Affairs at Princeton University. He's also a political analyst for CNN. He co-hosts Princeton University's Politics and Polls podcast, and he is the author of six books on American political history, including his latest, The Fierce Urgency of Now, Lyndon Johnson, Congress and the Battle for the Great Society. Professor Zelizer, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thanks for having me. You bet. I want to I want to go through both the good and not-so-good examples that you cite in your piece uh, regarding secret back-channel communications during the Nixon uh, transition and, I guess, the Nixon campaign. So let's yeah. start with, with what turned out to be a relatively positive outcome, as, as you describe it, from Nixon's back-channel communications with the USSR. What happened there, and why was it necessary that it be done in secret at all at the time?
3: Yeah, I mean, part of the idea that both Richard Nixon believed in and his top national security advisor, Henry Kissinger, was that there needed to be a new approach to handling U.S. relations with the Soviet Union. Uh, And the centerpiece of this was called detente. It was to ease relations with the Soviets. That's what it would be called once Nixon was president. Uh, And so the key to doing this was... Before you could reach an arms agreement, it was simply opening up the lines of dialogue. Mm -hmm. And uh, Henry Kissinger, as national security advisor, decides to essentially, uh, not essentially, he sets up a back channel, as it was called, uh, to the Soviet ambassador, which is top secret. Uh, And A, he believed this had to be done around the existing government bureaucracy. They were worried about leaks. They were worried about political pushback to what was very controversial at the time. Uh, And they also wanted to have an open line of communication just to informally discuss different crises as they emerged. So uh, that was the thinking. And it's actually set up uh, before the president takes office. Mm -hmm. Uh, But between 69 and 72, there's an extensive record of these conversations that... Uh, the Soviets and Kissinger would have over all the crises of the period.
0: But I think you report, uh, uh, Professor, that this was actually begun during the transition period. So I'm yes. wondering, you know, why did they find it necessary, well, A, to create a secret back channel with the Soviet Union at all, uh, which you spoke to a little bit there, but uh, why not wait till he becomes president? He was going to be, you know, president shortly thereafter. He could have spoken with the with the uh, Soviet Union directly through existing channels, uh, even existing secure communication channels, uh, why did they feel the need to do it during the transition?
3: That's a good question, and we don't have the exact answer. Part of it was the uh, Nixon was totally um, uh, paranoid and frightened about the existing bureaucracy in the State Department and to some extent in the Defense Department and was really determined... To try to do things which would ultimately lead to his downfall on his own, uh, and to have these kinds of communications without the official government knowing about what he was doing mm. and subverting him, and Henry Kissinger felt the same way. So, uh, part of the thinking was instantly to start to get this up and running uh, before you know all the appointments set in and all the civil servants were. Really starting to focus on the Nixon rather than Lyndon Johnson administration.
0: So that is another parallel, I guess. The the paranoia about the the existing government apparatus uh, to the to the Trump administration, and I don't I don't know if I well actually let me ask you Do you see it that way? Do you see that as a parallel? This uh, this concern about what what uh, has been called the deep state uh, by both Trump and Nixon? Is that something you've seen?
3: There are some similarities. It's interesting to think about. Nixon really did believe that the bureaucracy, he didn't call it the deep state, mm-hmm. uh, but that the bureaucracy had been um, put into place by Democratic administrations over the years and that they were not sympathetic to him. It wasn't quite as conspiratorial as you hear from Donald Trump, with uh, more of the idea of an active group in the government secretly trying to subvert him, it was more that the bureaucracy simply wouldn't accept what he was doing, and they would just become uh, a check and balance to a lot of his ideas. Um, So I think it's it's a similar idea, but I do think Donald Trump has amplified the uh, conspiratorial part of that.
0: You note that, uh, of course, Nixon, being a notorious cold warrior, uh, might have been concerned about the political pushback from even speaking, I guess, to the Soviet Union. Yet he still reached out to adversaries and even in his case, you, you say, to KGB intelligence officers. Did he know at the time that they were KGB intelligence officers? To your knowledge, well, so
3: this this was done through Robert Ellsworth, uh, who was a longtime friend of his uh-huh. and an associate of his, uh, who, from what we know, was aware of the circles uh, he was um, talking to, where he was talking, and making contact. We're not exactly sure how much Kissinger knew. I mean, how much Nixon knew about the particulars, mm-hmm. uh, but the his, the history has been pretty interesting. On just how far-reaching some of these contacts were,
0: and unlike the current situation, is that something that was not revealed until many, many years yep. later? The uh, the communicate the back channel yeah, communications.
3: Yeah, we really uh, the back channel uh, really only became fully known in recent years. The State Department released all these documents and conversations that Kissinger had, uh, and historians have also just recently really uncovered that pre inauguration back channel. So um, this was not known nearly as quickly as we're we're discovering everything with President Trump in real time. Uh, That's not how this played out under Nixon. You
0: you also explain that uh, that back channel eventually led to what you describe as uh, huge results. Uh, Explain what those results were, and, uh, and would they have happened without that back channel, as you understand it?
3: Yeah, I mean, the back channel, both by uh, people who remember him well and people who don't remember Nixon very fondly, is often seen as an accomplishment uh, because what it produces, uh, the first part of this policy of detente, uh, are the SALT 1 agreements in mm-hmm. 1972, uh, which lead to some reductions in nuclear arms, uh, which was a historic breakthrough. You have uh many people say the road to the end of the cold war starts with these salt one agreements mm. and kissinger was really important in um, negotiating this and setting the groundwork for the soviets to enter into this kind of agreement so uh there's not many people who disagree other than very uh conservative republicans at the time that salt one was was a breakthrough in diplomatic history mm-hmm. and and after the turmoil over Vietnam, it was the first real positive development in in foreign policy. So that's what I was referring to. And yeah. other other issues were discussed in the back channel that you know calmed down situations that were getting hot. Um, so there was a lot of success. There's people who still question it. You know, how can you conduct foreign policy this way? And there's a danger. There's no accountability. And we saw the cost of that with Richard Nixon. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the decisions made by people like Kissinger were, uh, are not um, seen kindly uh, outside of SALT uh, in terms of ignoring human rights and uh, throwing support to dictatorial governments. Uh, but SALT won. That arms agreement I think, uh, and, and I think many would agree, was a really important milestone.
0: I'm speaking with Professor Julian Zelizer of Princeton University. Uh, Julian, you, you cite th- that example that uh, the Trump administration might cite favorably in their explanation for uh, these reports of, of Kushner's attempt to set up a back-channel uh, alleged attempts to set up a back-channel communications with Russia uh, and and the positive effect from that, but a less positive effect uh, from another, a separate back-channel communication that uh, Richard Nixon also had uh, during the during the Vietnam War. Uh, explain that less favorable comparison to what Kushner allegedly did. Right. What, what is the, the... Chenault, uh, Chenault affair? Is that how we say yeah, it?
3: Yeah, the Chenault affair, yeah. and Uh, This is a much less favorable uh, comparison, and it involved, in 1968, Richard Nixon was running against the vice president, Hubert Humphrey. The president, Lyndon Johnson, a Democrat, decided he wouldn't run again. Uh, And one of the things that happens in the fall of the campaign is that the Nixon campaign, working through a Republican fundraiser named Anna Chenault, uh who had ties to Kissinger and other members of the campaign speaks with the Soviet uh, South Vietnamese ambassador. This mm-hmm. is in the middle of the Vietnam War. And Lyndon Johnson is trying to negotiate some kind of temporary negotiated settlement to the war in Vietnam. Uh and this is front and center in his efforts in the middle of the campaign. And Nixon is terrified that if this happens Hubert Humphrey will win, because mm-hmm. it will be a victory for Democrats and the administration. So this Republican fundraiser tells the South Vietnamese, get out of the talks that are taking place. You'll get a better deal under a President Nixon than you will under the current president or a President Humphrey. And, and the talks break down. Uh, and Johnson finds out about this, uh, and he is furious. He calls the Senate Republican leader Everett Dirksen, and he says privately this is treason. Uh, and Dirksen agrees, but they never make this public, and they never speak about it outside these conversations.
0: how many years did it take us before we understood that that is what actually did go on?
3: It's really only in in the last, I think it's about four or five years that two books have come out that really found smoking gun evidence. There was always stories uh-huh. about this, but we've seen now memos. We've seen a memo from H.R. Haldeman, who would be Nixon's chief of staff basically, you know, saying, what else can we do to subvert this negotiation? Uh, So again, we learn about President Trump in real time. This took decades to really discover.
0: And it occurs to me, since you mentioned that LBJ himself had uh, heard about it but did not talk about it, there's another parallel there, it seems. I know that the Obama administration now says they were very concerned about what Russia was or wasn't doing during the election, uh, and he didn't really speak up. So any any sense of why LBJ would not have spoken up at the time seems like that would have been uh, devastating for Nixon.
3: Yeah, the the most important reason, also more parallels, was that the Johnson administration, after having first learned about uh, this uh, potential discussion that was having happening with the South Vietnamese, had uh, had a wiretap on the ambassador put into place, and so they were wiretapping this ah. information. And Johnson didn't want this revealed. The other reason that, at least, I think he says in one photo. Fo- phone conversation and, and I'm not a hundred percent I'm I'm remembering this accurately, mm-hmm. but he was worried about uh assuming Nixon did win, uh kind of undercutting his legitimacy uh in, in public, uh if this didn't have any kind of effect and he saw the world in turmoil and US foreign policy at a crossroads. Uh so those were the two reasons that he didn't reveal it. Uh but if you listen to the phone conversations, it's the the language they are using is not subtle. They he calls it treason and a republican agrees
0: and and it's well i want to say it's an imperfect uh, somewhat imperfect comparison at least to that given that uh... what we're talking about now it has been reported now was an effort during the transition which to me actually makes this thing even more bizarre the fact that it was you know when they're weeks away from what would be direct communication if they wanted it with the russians but i guess we can look back at nixon and the the concerns about the political pushback that came from that but secret back channels uh... in and of themselves are not necessarily nefarious, right? There are times in history when those kind of channels are are necessary for legitimate reasons, not to hide anything, but uh, when it's needed for legitimate diplomacy to develop sort of a a hands-off, plausibly deniable channel to another country?
3: Yeah. It isn't uh, illegitimate, or at least it's not unprecedented, Mm -hmm. and both parties have done it. uh, President Kennedy did this. We've Learned more about also as an effort to try to calm down Cold War tensions. President Obama did this with the Cubans. So
1: mm-hmm. there is
3: this tradition of trying to handle things in ways that they are contained uh, because every president understands, uh, you know, once these kinds of issues reach the public or are leaked, uh, they become politically explosive. But there's a lot of questions about what the rationale was. If this back channel was trying uh, to be put into place, there's questions about financial connections between Jared Kushner and Donald Trump and the Russians. There are questions about, obviously, the fact the Russians were trying to move the election in favor of this candidate. That wasn't the case uh, in 1968. And so there's a lot of uncertainty, both about the context and the substance of this effort which is why it is something that's raised a lot of suspicion and is the focus of an investigation. It's not the back channel. It's what this back channel was meant to do and why it was being put into place, if, if it's true.
0: Uh, this story. And and that is, uh, thank you for that uh, advisory, if it's true. We're still learning about this. And if it's true, if the reports, as the Washington Post had it, uh, it suggests that this is, is very different from anything we've seen before in that even the Russian ambassador in this case, if the reports are accurate, appears to have been taken aback by Kushner's request to use Russia's diplomatic facilities. Is there you know, to to do these communications, I guess to to go to the embassy and and have these conversations with Moscow. Is there anything even comparable uh, to that in in our history that you know of, Professor? And and frankly, if not, is this was it? Well, I guess you don't know. It's speculative, but was it due to naivete or nefariousness on the part of uh, on, on the part of Kushner?
3: I mean, my guess is there's always a level of suspicion when these kinds of back channels are being put into place. But uh, In an era like the Cold War in the 60s and 70s, you know, neither side trusted each other. Everyone was spying on each other. And so uh, the fact that you put into place a back channel is already an effort to work through some of this distrust. That is the nature of this. And that's exactly why when they are put into place, they represent a kind of breakthrough. Uh, Here we just know there was a lot of skepticism, not simply about the back channel, but the particularities of how he wanted to do it. Uh, And so it's hard to make sense exactly of the report and uh, what the Russians were thinking about this and why each side was at least contemplating this. Uh, But back channels are very delicate and uh, very dangerous, for these very reasons. They are insecure. They are unmonitored. And in this case, uh, you know, this was taking place before the president-elect was in office. And when we were in the middle of placing tighter sanctions on the Russians for having intervened in the election, this is in the same period. Uh, And so this is really different in that way. Uh, And it's a harder case for President Trump to say this was just purely about diplomacy. There's too much smoke uh, about all the circumstances surrounding it.
0: A lot of smoke, uh, and the smoke continues to billow. We'll, we'll see how much we uh, figure out, because there's, yeah, so many unanswered questions, because it is just ultimately so bizarre. Uh, but you you make a really helpful and interesting comparison in, in your piece, Professor. Uh, check out uh, Julian Zelizer's piece at CNN Uh, How Kushner Could Play the Nixon Card. Not that he would want to. Uh, And you can also uh, follow his work, of course, on the Twitters at Julian Zelazar. Uh, Professor, really appreciate you joining us here today. Hope you don't mind if we bother you again in the future.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. All right, a quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen in the Green News Report. Wonder what she's going to talk about today. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. (laughs) Bradcast.
2: And thanks. I
0: stop the world with you. There is no stopping the world. <laughs>
2: Apparently not.
0: I'm sorry to say. Once again, welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Once again, our top story today, perhaps the top story of the century, Desi Doyen, Donald Trump's uh, announcement that he is pulling the U.S. out of the landmark U.N.-Paris climate agreement, or at least he's going to try, as we cover in today's late-breaking Green News Report.
1: As of today, the United States will cease all implementation of the non-binding Paris Accord and the draconian financial and economic burdens the agreement imposes – On our country.
2: Green News Report special coverage. Au revoir, Paris. Donald Trump withdraws the U.S. from the historic Paris Climate Agreement.
0: That amazing story and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. At what
1: point do they start laughing at us as a country?
0: Mm, I'd say now. This is your... Green News Report.
2: Soak up the sun.
0: Okay, Desi Doyen, an historic day concerning an historic accord and an historic speech that took place just moments ago before airtime by Donald Trump in the White House Rose Garden.
2: Yes, that's right. On Thursday afternoon, President Donald Trump, who famously called climate change a hoax invented by China, announced that he is sticking with his campaign promise to withdraw the United States from the United Nations Paris Agreement on Climate Change, the landmark global agreement signed in 2015 by 192 nations to cut the carbon emissions that cause dangerous global warming.
1: The United States will withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord. Thank you. But begin negotiations to reenter either the Paris Accord or in really entirely new transaction on terms that are fair to the United States, its businesses, its workers, its people, its taxpayers.
2: So we're getting out. Trump justified the decision with wildly inaccurate claims and outright falsehoods, far too many to debunk here, misleading Americans on the treaty and its impacts on the United States. Withdrawal is a victory for the nationalist wing among Trump's White House advisors, and it's a victory for the fossil fuel industry's decades-long disinformation campaign to cast doubt on climate science. Renegotiating is a non-starter. The current agreement itself took 20 years, and France, Germany, and Italy immediately after the speech issued a joint statement declaring that the agreement cannot be renegotiated. The Paris exit has major long-term repercussions for our foreign relations, our global competitiveness, and, of course, pollution and the planet. Trump's formal exit will take at minimum four years, and the earliest it could take effect is November fourth, 2020, the day after the next presidential election.
0: That makes the next presidential election even more important than it might have already been.
2: An unusually broad spectrum of voices tried to convince Trump to stay in the global accord. Foreign leaders from Europe to the Pope to India to China warned Trump repeatedly that U.S. diplomatic relations will be severely damaged. One former White House official asked Politico, quote, how will global leaders ever trust the U.S. again to keep our word as a nation? Major corporations like Google, Apple, PG&E, Dow Chemical warned Trump that withdrawal will disadvantage America and its economy, hurt U.S. global competitiveness, and shut us out of global clean energy jobs. Even oil giants like Exxon and Chevron tried to convince Trump to stay in to, quote, keep a seat at the table. Seventy percent of Americans wanted the U.S. to remain in the agreement, and that includes a majority of Republican voters.
0: Which is kind of amazing when you think about it and how disinterested informed they have been about climate over the years.
2: In the long term, U.S. withdrawal is hugely consequential for the planet. We're already seeing accelerating impacts like rising seas and deadly extreme weather events. A new analysis by the Associated Press projects that a rogue United States could add up to a third of a degree Celsius of additional warming all by ourselves, meaning the world will have a far more difficult time avoiding dangerous and irreversible impacts of warming.
0: Which, of course, is just a tiny, tiny, tiny the amount as Donald Trump said today as as if it was completely meaningless
2: demonstrating he does not understand the science. The US withdrawal could lead to backsliding among other nations but leaders around the world affirmed their own countries commitments this week the European Union and China on Friday will announce a new partnership on climate action what the financial times called quote a stark realignment of forces. And states and cities are forging ahead with climate action, like California Governor Jerry Brown in an interview Wednesday with the L.A. Times.
1: California will do everything it can to not only stay the course, of, but to build more support in other states, other provinces, and with other countries.
2: So Trump can undermine the Paris Agreement, but he can't kill it. To be clear, the Paris Agreement targets were not enough to avoid catastrophic warming impacts. It was only a start, a framework. Trump's move is a major setback, but a future U.S. president can and rejoin it. The Paris Agreement is a framework for transitioning to clean energy, and regardless of what Trump does, the market is moving away from fossil fuels.
0: And moving away from Donald Trump. This decision ends up hurting the nation as much or more than it hurts the planet, in truth. For much more on that story and all the ones that we couldn't get to at all today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: And I'm Desi Doyon.
0: And this has been your special coverage, Green News Report.
1: You're going to keep on fooling around baby. You're going to mess up a good thing.
0: Yeah, you got that right. You're going to mess up. Hey, we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. I'm sure you'll have more to say uh, in our next thrilling episode on all of this. To my guest today, Professor Julian Zelizer of Princeton University, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, as ever, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. My thanks to those of you who stopped by while you are there at bradblog.com slash donate. To help us continue to do what we've been trying to do and trying to warn you about for so many years over your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you can find us, follow us, and share us worldwide. I am simply the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.